The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. I would like you to turn to Numbers 32, and we're going to read a number of different verses as we finish up our study in the book of Numbers. And start, Numbers 33. These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month, on the fifteenth day of the first month, on the day after the Passover. The children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians, For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on all their gods, the Lord had executed judgment. Now, if you would then turn over to verse 50 in that same chapter. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Speak. To the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroying all their engraved images, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess, and you shall drive, divide the land by a lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance, and to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, there everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers." But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. And then if you would turn over to the last chapter, verse 8. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel each may possess the inheritance of their fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, so the daughters of Zelophehad, for Mal- so did the daughters of Zelophehad, for Mala, Tirsa, Hogla, Milkla, Milka, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the families of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. 
These are the commandments and the judgment with which the Lord commanded the children of Israel by the hand of Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Dear Lord Jesus, we would like to invite you today to come and to meet with us. You're already here. Would you break open the word of life to our hearts? And Father, as we get ready, some to go to many parts of the nation and others of us to stay right here, that, O Lord Jesus, you would speak to us through your word as we're together the last time for this year's Bible study, that, Father, we might never be the same, that our lives might be forever different, and that we might truly be possessing our inheritance in Christ, which is Jesus himself, and all you are and all you have for us. Would that become a living reality for every one of us today? In Jesus' name, amen. I would just like to take, as we go through this this, this morning, I'd like to finish up just in, in um, like a picture in each of these chapters as God ties this book together for us before we go out. We see in the, that, first of all, the journey that they had been on was unnecessary. It didn't need to take 40 years. Deuteronomy 1 says what, could, what happened from Horab to Kadesh Barnea should have taken 11 days. So it was like from Egypt all the way to, to Kadesh Barnea should have taken, as if they had gone directly and not have wandered around, they could have made it in about 40 days. But instead, they did disobeyed, and because of their failure to trust God, they did not arrive in 40 days or less. It took them 40 years. Now, as we get ready to go out, what kept them? And we've talked about this all semester. What kept them from appropriating the promises of God? What kept the first generation from ever entering into his fullness? And it was because they did not believe God and they failed to obey him. And in my own personal life, what keeps me from all that God has for me? And many times it is the lies that we believe about ourselves, about God, and about what he has, he has got for us. Instead of believing and trusting God, we trust the evil one. And there are lies that we believe that incapacitate our life. So we, like the children of Israel, spend 40 years going around and around in circles, maybe even very busy in Christian activity, but yet we are going nowhere. And at the end of our life, we say, where am I? Where is Jesus? And what have I accomplished for the purposes of God? I remember being in... in ministry for oh 15 years or so and meeting with a small group of women every week in my house in discipleship and we were all in the word every week we did accountability we said scripture verses we shared together and um but every week we met every week we were just the same we weren't going forward we weren't reaching people for jesus we were all just talking about our dysfunctions week after week and praying over each other's dysfunctions week after week. 
And finally, I got tired of it. I said, Jesus, pardon me, this group isn't going any place. He said, I know. I was waiting for you to realize it. He said, do you know they'll only go as far as the leader? And I just was taken back in my little proud heart. I said, well, pardon me, Jesus. I'm saved and sanctified and filled with the Spirit. You must have the wrong girl. He said, nope. He said, Beth, I'm talking to you. He said, because you have whole areas of your life that you are making lies a refuge. Isaiah 28. Never even knew it was in Scripture. And I said, Lord, not me. He said, yes, you. Well, I didn't listen at first. (laughs) Have you ever done that? (laughs) I just pretended he hadn't said that to me and kind of hoped he'd go away. We kept meeting in that group, and it was just as pitiful week after week. And finally, there came a desperation and a hunger, a hunger in my soul for more of him. And it was no longer I thinking about the group. God began to put a hunger in my heart for himself. So one day, I took a walk on the back 40 of the golf course. And there's an old oak tree out there that's forever bonded in my heart. And in desperation, I threw myself down by that oak tree. And I said, Jesus, please set me free from anything that holds me back from all of you in my life, from every lie that I'm taking refuge in, will you set me free? And do you know, God took me at my word and he began to lovingly, gently, sweetly, but very painfully began to surface in my heart the refuge of lies that I began basing my life on the coping mechanisms, the patterns, the things that I did not trust him with, sense of inadequacies, mistakes I'd made that I couldn't trust him with, pain and accidents that had occurred in my life that I didn't know how to handle, a sense of sin in my life. I remember during that time, one time, someone gave me an article to read on forgiveness by Charles Stanley for working with other women. (laughs) I thought, well, before I give it out to other women, I maybe should read it, which I did. And at the end of that article, if they didn't, Charles Stanley didn't have the audacity to put a personal inventory. And I went in thinking there was nothing in my heart. I read that personal inventory, and there were 11 questions, and I was guilty of nine. I said, God, is that my heart? He said, yes. So we began to systematically work through places that I needed to forgive. And then other things he began to surface. Many of them I couldn't share with you now because they're under the blood. I don't remember. (laughs) And even the people and all the things I had to forgive, I can't remember. Because when we brought them into the light and then made restitution or I asked for forgiveness or made it right... I can't remember. All I can remember is I had 11 people that I had to ask forgiveness for and eleven thing, nine out of the 11. But everything else is under the blood because the blood of Jesus is so deep that it cleanses from each and every sin. 
And it began the pathway for me to possess himself. Because what is the possessing heart? It is not the heart that possesses geography or a physical place or even ministry. It is a heart that begins to know Jesus Christ in all his sweetness, begins to know the Father in all his love, and begins to know the infilling of the Holy Spirit to be able to lead us into all truth so we can let go of our refuge of lies and walk into the reality of God himself. Then another thing from this passage of Scripture We see that they spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, but they started out with glory. This first first in chapter 33 said that it's verse 3. The children of Israel on the first day of the, on the 15th day of the first month after Passover went out with boldness in the sight of Egypt. They started out with glory. And boldness in the sight of Egypt. And for a change, women, instead of they weren't burying their dead, the Egyptians were burying their dead. And, and all of the power of the gods through those plagues that it were directly attached to the gods that Egypt worshipped. The gods of Egypt were brought into reproach and shame, and the enemy was burying his dead. How often you and I go forward, but instead of us going forward with boldness and victory, we start out that way, but then we go turn to a side, and we begin with glory, but we soon move into mediocrity, and we soon move into barrenness. Once again, we may be extremely busy in ministry. We may be involved in ministry, but we have lost him. And one of the reasons is because even in the wear and tear of life, we can believe a refuge of lies, but in the wear and tear of life, it is very easy for the enemy to come in with all his subtlety and all his insidiousness and rob us of our first love. And do you know throughout the Old Testament, in Old Testament God equates idolatry and adultery? Because you and I, God is calling us to a love relationship to himself. The closest metaphor to that is the metaphor of holy marriage where we live in in fellowship and covenantal commitment with the one God has given to us. And we refuse all others and we choose the one that we have married. And every day in our marriages, that is a reflection of us choosing him. It is in in symbol, the reality of choosing him. But it is easy even in marriage that we begin to go through the motions of marriage. But the first love that we once knew we have lost. And the first love we can lose with Jesus. And it can come in so that there is adultery in our soul. And we don't even realize it. It is so subtle. Is there anything or anyone you love more than Jesus Christ today? We dealt with that last night. Last week, do we love him with all our heart? I got an early morning phone call this week. And I got a, and this gal said, are you awake? Wake up. Wake up. And I said, yes, I'm awake. She said, well, somebody just call me to wake me up. I have the best news. It was another Bible study meeting. And she said, I, I taught Bible study last night. And we were in Matthew. And taught about, about sin being of not a violation of the law, 
but a violation of a covenantal love relationship and anything that comes between God being the first love of our heart in the person of the Lord Jesus is spiritual adultery. She said it was a hard lesson. And when they left, people left and were very quiet. She said early this morning, before day bust, I got a phone call. Said, and said, wake up, wake up, are you awake? Said, after Bible study, I went home. And for an hour and a half, I had to get hold of Jesus because he pinpointed in my life the place where I had lost my first love for him. And do you know what it was? I wanted a new home. I wanted a home that wasn't an old farmhouse. I wanted a new log home, in fact. And there didn't seem to be any way to get it, but there was this almost lust in my heart for that that I didn't have. I was just tired of the mess and tired of the oldness of my house. And women, especially those of you going out in ministry or those that are already out there, you are going to live in parsonages where the floor is not going to be right, where the plumbing is going to be pitiful. You may not have adequate room for your kids. And you'll say, pardon me, and it will be something as little as a house or as big as a house that will cause you and I to turn our hearts away from him and say, boy, I sure do wish God was treating me better than this. And we lose our first love. And instead of saying, Jesus, no matter what, no matter what, I choose you. And your will for me is good and acceptable and perfect. And I refuse to commit adultery in my soul over anything or anyone. I choose you. It may be your children. Do you love them more than Jesus? It may be your husband. Do you know what, ladies? It can be Christian ministry who becomes the mistress of our hearts. God is coming to say, no one is big enough to be God. No one can satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. God will not keep you from houses or children. They are all beautiful gifts. But as Fenelon said, I read it this week, he said we can be deceived by our blessings because we choose blessings instead of him. Then do you know what? They were too easily satisfied. We notice in chapter um, 30, uh, chapter 34, the boundaries of Canaan were so, so great, they stretched all the way from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean, from Lebanon down below the Negev. And even in the time of Solomon and David, Israel never <laughs> appropriated all that God had given to them. We are too easily satisfied. We are not willing to launch out in the deep and take a risk for God. So even if we fail, we will put we are allowing God to do something through us even in failure. We are attempting something for God. It is not successful ministry. It is a heart that is saying, Yes, Lord, I am willing to launch out in the deep. Are you and I too easily satisfied? Do we too quickly say, I'll settle here on the wrong side of Jordan rather than go on and let God get rid of anything in my life that would keep me from him? Then the sweetness of God in the next chapter is that 
is that he sent, he calls out and separates the Levites so that there were 48 cities for the people who carried the word of God to the people of God. And that's what we're doing today. Many of you are going out. And we'd like to keep you right here so there'd be a whole city of Levites. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way. I need you to go here and I need you to go here. I need some world changers. And you and I are to go out. And God's put his hand on many of you, even today, to go out. And as you go out, you go out in the strength and the boldness of Jesus Christ. Going out so that God can use your life and your home and your ministry to be a refuge for those that are lost, broken, hurt, and dying. And do you know what? In this third, in the 35th chapter, he establishes cities of refuge so that even among the Levites in those 48 cities, there were six that were cities of refuge. And the cities of refuge were the places that anyone who could, could come who had murdered another person so they would not just be killed in revenge in case the intent of their heart had not been malicious, but it had been accidental. And that they were to stay in the city of refuge until their case came to court. And if it had been like manslaughter and and not intended to be malicious murder, they were to live in the city of refuge until the high priest died. And it was a sign that just like Jesus, our great high priest, who has died for your sins and my sins, we can live in the city of refuge no longer for our sins. Do we have to go to a physical place and wait till the high priest dies so we once again have freedom to move about? Jesus, this is in small and in symbol that Jesus is our great high priest who has died for your sins and my sins. And we don't go to a place, but we go to him. And just like Proverbs eighteen eleven says, the name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. And that you and I come to Jesus who is our refuge. In the Old Testament, they were set free by the death of the high priest. Even so, our high priest has already paid the price. He has already died. And you and I can be set free today, even today. We can be set free. Do you know him as your refuge? Do you know him as your hiding place? Do you know the enoughness of Jesus Christ in every area of your being? Jesus Christ comes today and he offers himself to be your refuge, to be your hiding place, to be your all-sufficiency, to be the lover of your soul. And then the closing chapter of Numbers. The closing chapter is once again five little sisters (laughs) that we've heard from before with very funny names and a daddy with a very funny name Zelophehad's daughters and they are God's testimony that not everyone missed all that God had for them there were five little women who came and said we want an inheritance by faith We want an inheritance in the promised land. We don't want our father's family to be lost 
to the family of God. And then even in Joshua, they come again. And they said, you're not remembering. Moses gave us an inheritance in the promised land. And that that they take by faith in 36, they claim in Joshua 14. And they claim the inheritance that God had for them. And they knew it in reality, not just by faith. So they are a testimony like Caleb and Joshua of the few, the remnant, the remnant that went on and knew him in reality and possessed all that God had for them. And in their possessing all that God had for five little sisters, five women who possessed all that God had for them, they stood in the gap for all their family, all their father's family, and all their extended family, that they said, Jesus, when you come again, I want to come and I want these that you have given me in blood relationships and in Jesus' family. I want these to come to lay at your feet that every single one of those I love and you've given me responsible for would know you, would enter in the kingdom of heaven, but would accomplish the purposes of God that he made them for right here, right now on earth. Are you there? Are you one of the five? Or like Caleb and Joshua, one of the two? Are you believing lies? Have you started out with great guns, but then you've got something else that's just filtered off your love for him? You don't love him with the same passion you used to. Is he a refuge for you? Are you too easily satisfied? Are you launching out in the deep? Is there a passion in your soul for the world and the lost? Is God using you? Are you a fruit-bearing, fruit-producing Christian? Are there people coming to Jesus because you are alive? Are there people coming to Jesus because of your prayers? Are you like the Levites, salt and light in your neighborhood, bringing people to Jesus and offering your home as a refuge to the lost? And are you finding Jesus the refuge for your soul so that he is the refuge that has met every need of your heart? Are you experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ Are you possessed by him? And are you claiming all his possessions for you?